You are listening to the Therefore a Geek podcast, episode number 71. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Therefore a Geek. I'm Andrew. I'm Tracy. And this is a special edition. This is a special edition, right? Well, kind yeah. of. I mean, we're, we're, we're recording it the, the, the day following recording another podcast. Uh, this will actually find its way into our normal rotation. But, yeah, we... Uh, we just finished recording the uh, the acts in our podcast yesterday, last night, so less than 24 hours ago. And uh, since I'm going out for a couple of weeks, we thought we'd cram in one last podcast together that uh, Tracy will then be in charge of editing. Lord help us all. Oh, Lord. So today we we're going to go ahead and talk about uh, Marvel Civil War, uh, specifically the 2007 Civil War. There have been a couple of others. Obviously, we are currently in the middle of Civil War II. And during the recent Secret Wars event, there was also a uh, Civil War uh, miniseries. So, Civil War... tripped me completely up when I was preparing for this podcast. Yeah, I messed with Tracy just a little bit. So, Civil War is written by Mark Millar, with pencils by Steve McNiven. And and short short summary. You know, obviously, this, this is not a spoiler because this has been out for the last seven year, uh, no, nine years. Because I can't do math. Is that there is a a rising sentiment of kind of frustration and and anger at the superhero community for events that have gone wrong and cost people their lives, culminating in uh, an explosion in Stamford, Connecticut right in front of a school that kills, I think, 500 people is the number. They say between four and 500 people. S- a significant portion of them are children, obviously, because it was right in front of a school. Uh, and then this this leads to the Superhuman Registration Act. And uh, Cap- our, our, our two main protagonists, Captain America and Iron Man, find themselves on opposite sides of the Registration Act. Tony Stark finding himself uh, pro-registration and, and thinking that, that government oversight is a good and training is a good thing and Captain America having concerns about uh, so basically civil liberties and superheroes fight and it's they do and it kind of struck me as odd so I'm a big fan of Millar's writing as I think I've mentioned before on the podcast often I find myself reading a book and thinking, huh, this is really well written, and then discovering that it's Mark Millar after the fact. It always startles me, especially because I follow Mark Millar on social media, that a British writer with very liberal, very progressive views would write with at least the first few issues such libertarian views as this. It's very, very clear who you're supposed to root for, and it's definitely not the registration guys. So it, that, that kind of caught me off guard at the beginning. You know, I don't know that there's actually a specific group you're supposed to be rooting for. Yeah, I don't know if I would agree with that either, because at least early on from my reading, the book... I mean, Millar really brings up like an interesting question that you feel like, oh, in all the years of comic books, uh, you'd think this one would come up earlier. Is like, what's the government role in, you know, superheroes? If, if these kind of people really did exist, how would we respond? And maybe it's just because for the longest time when we were writing, when people were writing superheroes, they all existed kind of in their own universe, and it's only within the last, I don't know, 30 or 40 years that we've been interweaving their stories into the same universe now. So maybe it's like just that's because like early writers had their own world, and it was like, all right, you've got this one superhero, and he's the only one, and no one knows who he is, and he goes off and he does his own thing. In this world, it's like all of them. It's a not just a community. It's basically its own population, and they're almost everyone who has a superpower is either trying to fight crime or is a trying to break the law in some way. And Millar brings up this interesting question: Is like, okay, these people create an immense amount of collateral damage. How do the non-superheroes and governments approach this? And he comes up with this idea of this like superpowered registration at least for the early issues i thought you know maybe he tries to play it um 
fair, or at least down the middle, and really give everyone their own say and, and, and have them you know fairly represent everyone. But it does feel at least the emotional weight of the book is on the side of Tony Stark. You think so? Because I would I would disagree specifically um, with reference to book three, issue three, uh, the juxtaposition of the two headlines. So um, Cap's team is still taking down traditional bad guys, the Sinister Six, and it's a very he, they're still you know in the streets cleaning up actual you know super criminals. But the headline for the Iron Man team, if you will, is about them taking out unregistered superheroes. So I felt as though that was sort of the juxtaposition of, and I wrote down in my notes, it's very clear who we are supposed to root for here. I don't know if it's a coherent, I don't know if that's a coherent thing throughout the books. It may just be this in this one moment, because I did sort of feel like, it bounced around a little bit. And see, I don't see that as as providing a a specific point of view that we are supposed to be looking at. I think that is honestly, I think that that's representative of the idea of media bias. Mm-hmm. The you fact thought that the media actually favored Capside. Well, I think this is like an MSNBC versus Fox News kind of thing. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. It, and I did not take note of the he- of the header. I didn't. Well, I don't. Which... I don't. I don't know what. Pa- I mean, I think they're, they're just they're just made up papers. But I think it's the idea of the same comments can be made, and one side's going to herald it as heroic, and the other side's going to herald it as the next return of Satan. Well, you know, the and the other point to make is I'm looking at the page right now. It just says, you know, Cap's secret Avengers snatch up new Sinister Six plot, and the other one is Tony Stark promises to tackle super rebels. To me, they're not, those aren't dynamically opposed points of view, right? It's not, uh, you know, saying one is bad or one isn't. It's just showing what's going on in the news and what's making headlines. I always thought the emotional impact of the story, or at least the, it felt to me that the emotional side or the 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 capital was really on the side of captain uh, not captain america but um stark for the longest time if for no other reason then he has this character of one of the victim's mothers come in yeah over and over and over again and kind of reinforce you know almost fanatically tony stark's position on this registration yeah. i mean to me the most striking moment was after uh, Goliath is killed, I think the end of issue four of this, or he's killed in early issue four, and she is really just trying to come up with some sort of apologetics to keep uh, Iron Man, uh, Tony Stark, in this. Yes, absolutely. And even, and even at the end, the very, very end, when you know it, it's all settled down, you know she has the last words, and that's where. Or at least I think she has, or Tony Stark has the last word. But she's in the last scene with Stark. Right. And it's this very, you know, seemingly optimistic point. I mean, like, her last lines are, you're a good man, Tony Stark. You risked everything to get us this place. But I truly believe you've given people, heroes, we can believe in again. Well, and right? and, that, and that, to me, that's where I kind of felt like, at least Malar was putting the emotional weight behind the registration. And yet, throughout the whole first issue, issue and a half, kind of the setup of of the whole thing, it really, you know, Cap is very absolutism. Whereas they, I, I think there's an intentional play to make Tony a little more sympathetic. Tony's going along with this and he's doing it, but there, I mean, he even makes a statement, uh, "God, I hope," you know, something to the effect of "God, I hope and I hope we're doing the right thing." Mm-hmm. Right? He's not certain that he's doing the right thing, but this is what he feels he should be doing. Right. Whereas Cap is very much, I'm doing the right thing and I know it. Right. Everyone else needs to get their shit in gear and, and get on board. Yeah, and the other character that's really interesting is Reed Richards in this. Is he is kind of just he just buys into this entirely. And I yes. thought his the schism in the with the between the Fantastic. This is why, what whatever Millar's personal politics are, I thought he did a fairly good job of of giving everyone a fair say and not playing it too hard one way or the other, even though I think I have a feeling where he was siding with this. Right. But that one was... the end, yeah. Yeah, but but that, to me, you know, the scene with um, Emma Frost in the X-Men Manor, 
where she really gives Tony a butt chewing of like, really, you want our backing on this after, you know. Yeah, right, where were you when Genosha happened? Right, when all this other crap. But uh, getting back to the, the Fantastic Four, the, the schism between Sue Storm and Reed Richards was just really interesting because Reed just does not seem to care what Tony's doing or how far Tony's willing to go. And he's absolutely willing to like build a super Guantanamo Bay for all the people at one time he worked with. I thought that was really cool. He was well, far more absolutist than than was Tony. Yeah, yeah. I don't even. I wouldn't even say absolutist. Just Reed functions on a completely intellectual level. There is no emotion, no feeling involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, even even a, a significant portion of the last issue is kind of Reed is narrating it. And yes, at the end we we finally get to the emotional part where we tr- you know where he he basically begs Sue to come back. Mm-hmm. But as he's narrating that, it's still from a very emotionally detached purely intellectual standpoint. Mm-hmm. Well, part of his superpower is that his brain function has been sped up, correct? No. It's mm-hmm. not? I no. thought they referenced that in the book. No. He's always been he's always been the yeah, super he's, genius. He's been, yeah. That was part of like his thing. He he just happened to be the super scientist who can do stretchy things. Is it in, inter- and I want to come back to both Emma Frost and Marion Sharp in a second, but did you guys notice that the scientists and inventors were all on one side? Hank Pym or at least to begin with Hank Pym, Iron Man or uh, Tony Stark and Reed Richards? Yeah, yeah no, I, d- I definitely did notice that. No, yeah, I mean that that's that's certainly not an accidental thing. It's the it really is kind of the idea of the intellectual intellectual liberals and the more and the cons- yeah, and the, and the more conservative uh, groups like Cap. Yeah, and and I think that that wasn't an accident. It's these really really smart guys, and you see this all over the place. A good example of this is is Alan, in my opinion, is Alan Moore's uh, Watchmen, where uh, Osmond Deus is the super genius. And at the very end, he's like, I know how to fix the world, and here's how I'm going to do it. And the other super genius, Dr. Manhattan, goes, oh, yeah, that'll work, regardless of the cost. It, it works. And that's a theme amongst, like, super geniuses that, you know, they know what's best, so they should be in charge. Well, as, right. a, as a side note, one of the best parts that, about that book is, you know, they're like, well, we'll stop you. And he's like... Do you think I'd tell you this if there were any chance of you stopping me? I did it ten minutes ago. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And that was, you know, and then you know, personal politics aside, that that that's like a recurring theme of just super smart villains thinking they need to be running the world because they're really smart. I mean, yeah, Doctor Doom. Yeah, I don't think that was an accident. No. What no. I thought was interesting is, despite Captain America's absolutism, uh, he was very willing to side with some really unsavory people. You know, he, he brings in the Punisher, who apparently everyone hates. Well, Punisher kind of brought himself in. He allows the Punisher to stick Cap around for a while. For how long? It was maybe 15 minutes? In fact, the well, one girl well, even no, references no. 10 minutes longer than I thought he would last. Well, I think that was a sarcastic remark. It was, it was yeah. longer than just 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but, but basically, you when, when like Punisher shows up, everyone's like, we hate this guy, which I always thought was kind of ironic. And right. then he brings in, like, all these other um, kind of unsavory supervillains who, you know, the registration's getting in on their gig, and they don't like it. And it's like, Cap was like, all right, well, we got to beat this. What always got me about the story is... Hey, hey, who, who are you talking... What supervillains are you he, talking about? He had a whole group of them that looked like... I don't remember their name. No, that's the Thunderbolts. That's Tony Stark. That's not Cap. Tony was oh, definitely... Tony Stark was one? Or maybe my memory's off then. No, that's the Thunderbolts. Yeah, that's that's not... that That's Tony Stark. That's not Cap. Because the Thunderbolts go after Spider-Man, and that's the point at which Spider-Man crosses over from, from oh, Iron Man's right. side to Captain's right. side. Right, right, right. But wasn't there two, a moment where, two, like, two super villain, No, two supervillains show up, mm-hmm. and they start trying to explain themselves, oh, and, and Punisher Punch. guns them down, and that's when Cap kicks Punisher out. Yeah, which I thought was a great scene. I, I, mean, I love the fact that, that Cap starts beating the crap out of Punisher, and Punisher just refuses to fight back. I love yeah, I thought that, that, that the explanation for that was kind of weak, but whatever. yeah, but I think that's I think that's something that's been there for a while. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm certain there's some backstory to that. 
So I just, I really quickly before we move forward, I wanted to point out kind of this, because I wrote down in, in my notes, um, I really, Marion Sharp just was really getting me down. I, I did not like her at all. She was very manipulative. I felt like she sort of felt those moments when Tony might be weakening in his resolve and would just show up and say something emotionally charged. Like showing up at Goliath's funeral and handing him her son's favorite toy, I felt was in bad taste. Um, oh, see, I like that. So here's the reason well, why. And I know, but, I think wait, I know where you're getting at. I, I almost, I'm, I wrote in my notes, it would not surprise me if she turned out to be a telepath like Frost used to be. Um, oh, or, yeah. I mean, Frost is still a telepath, but I'm saying Frost used to be a super manipulative woman. Mm-hmm. Um, She's still super manipulative. Well, she is, but she's sort of on the good side, kind of. Um, but then Emma Frost had the line, perhaps we just know what it's like to be persecuted while you're fighting the good fight. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, X-Men have already gone through this whole idea about registration and and or or being, you know, cured, that kind of thing. So, I mean, we're, we're hitting some of the same points with the Avengers that we did with the X-Men. And I think if Emma Frost refuses to join your registration movement, maybe you should reconsider. Right, and, so but, the, and that's this, again kind of goes to my point that I don't necessarily think that the emotion was entirely on the side of Iron Man and the registration movement. Well, see, I think see those scenes I think were there to, uh, not not just in my mind, not just to pick up Tony Stark, but to like pick up the reader almost. Is that this? When she would explain the character we're talking about, uh, Miss Sharp. Was it what was her name? Mary. Marion. Say it again. Marion. 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 She's the mother of, of one of these children who were killed in the in the early um, debacle in the first in the first issue. Um, I've always said like, we, and we saw this in the movie like when when someone wants something to get done after a tragedy, I am I am no longer shocked at the length they will go to get what they want. So, yeah, the giving her giving Captain uh, the Tony Stark. The Iron Man toy of her son may feel manipulative, but in that character's mind, you know, that's just what she has to do to get this done because it's the right thing to do because the only right thing in this character's mind, at least appears to be in this character's mind, is getting this registration so that another event like this never happens. And I thought that was really, really... Uh, it's very realistic. Yet. Yeah, very... Like, like, I don't agree I with that. It was in, but, exactly. I just thought it was in very poor taste. Oh, yeah, but that stuff happens, like, all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's almost like, oh, you were affected by a tragedy. You must be the expert on that tragedy and can teach us all what you think is the right way to handle it. Like, yeah. what? Well, so kind of going back to the whole dude's point earlier about how would the government respond to mm-hmm. superhumans like this? And that's been addressed before. I mean, that goes back even to the Silver Age, you know, that goes back to you know, 60 years ago, or, yeah, 60 years ago. And I would say that, you know, back in those days, and and really up through 80s and getting into the 90s, they really just kind of played it off for the most part. Mm -hmm. Like, they didn't... Oh, yeah, I don't think they ever... To my knowledge, they never took it too seriously, did they? No. But again, I mean, and, and, and that also, I mean, fits into the feel of the comics of that era too Mm -hmm. i mean you know really this didn't start to change i think until watchmen and until dark knight Mm -hmm. but i think her character um marion's character specifically is brought in to add that level of realism to the scenario oh definitely right i mean this this is you know we're just saying this, this is the most realistic portrayal of something like this that we've seen up to this point and then they intentionally bring in those aspects to increase the realism oh yeah i mean like the, the idea of it being a school and and the hot button topics of, you know school massacres cause and do you guys remember few... what year was it that the um the sandy hook um oh, like 2013 oh yeah no, no, this was that re- this was yeah. way, way, way earlier than that. Yeah, we were in college still. This this actually came out, just kind of as a side note with a publication, This the last issue came out, I think, the week we were at our first New York Comic Con. 
Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So this is, it, it just, it re kind of re reminded me of the Sandy Hook aftermath. So. Oh, yeah. Um, I think the, the allusions to that, you know, school massacres, you know, there's at least appears to me to be allegories to like gun rights and stuff like that are all kind of packed into this. And even the early issue has these, you know, super like C level, D level superheroes uh, making a reality show. So there's definitely all these. He, he borrows a lot from real life to kind of give it that extra relevance and impact, which I appreciated. I actually really appreciate it. What I always found, like, strange about this was I always thought the roles would be reversed in this. If I, I mean, and maybe I just don't know enough about Cap or Iron Man's backstories, but if, if I were just on a, glancing at the cover and I, and I knew what the basic plot was, I would have imagined Captain America would have been super pro-registration and the, you know, billionaire businessman who has his own team would be anti-registration. And I, and it never, Millar never, at least in my opinion, never really clarifies their motivation very well in this to the point where I go, oh, that makes perfect sense why they would act this way. So I think... Iron Man can go either way. I think Captain America is actually, I, I really think it's the more likely choice for anti-registration mm -hmm. because it's that uh, don't take away my rights, the civil liberties. Right, Cap fights, isn't, Cap isn't fighting for the government, he fights for people's freedom. Right? And th I mean, that goes back to, you know, World War World War Two era comics. I mean, yes, he's, you know, fights for America, but it's more what America represents, not America the country. So that's why, to me, I mean, I, Cap always I, yeah. made sense on that on that aspect, and then Iron Man obviously kind of had to go the opposite way. Right, I mean, I guess, I mean, I just don't know enough about this character's backstory, because at least the way I always views Captain America was he was a soldier. And so he was already, you know, on the government dole. He was basically already, you know, a, a federal employee. So He's also like, used to following orders. Right, I mean, so that's just that he kind was, of he was the during the war, but I mean that was that has that, that that yes, he was a soldier, but he's more and and again, I think it goes back to the you know our grandparents' generation in terms of fighting for freedom, right? They're American, you know, they fought the Nazis, but they didn't fight the Nazis because they felt like fighting Nazis, they felt the fought the Nazis because they felt like it was you know encroaching on their freedoms, yeah, but I mean also. I mean, I'm just not aware of Captain America ever having any clearly defined, you know, even op opinions on civil liberties. I remember, you know, right after this, Ed Brubaker was interviewed on NPR somewhere, and he was talking about this character and saying, you know, there's so many people who on the one hand think that Captain America should be like the support our troops type character, and then there's other people on the other hand that are like, oh, he should be protesting the war in Iraq. So, like... How, how that character is interpreted can go multiple ways. I guess I always envisioned him as a soldier first. Well, I do like that Millar actually gave you an answer, at, or at least a, a counter argument to that, knowing perhaps that that was a question in some readers' minds. He did have that interaction between Cap and Commander Hill, I believe, in issue one. See, I thought that yeah. was one of the I thought that was one of the worst parts of this entire series. Yeah, was, I'm was that to... that argument between Maria Hill and Cap? It just, but it was it was she was consistent throughout this whole book. That that I'm was not the, saying she was the problem. Cap mm -hmm. was the problem. Mm -hmm. Maria mm -hmm. Hill presents this argument, and Cap just goes way, way, way out in left field with it. Yeah, it's very. It's a very strange, almost reactionary response on the part of Cap, where it's like that. It, that escalated quickly, right? That was one of those moments where like, <laughs> that, that, that got out of hand really fast, and that's why. I, I understand that there's an explanation given. Uh, my whole point is that um, it didn't, it, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't ring well. I mean, he basically says, uh, and I, I found the page real quick. Your cap says you're asking me to arrest people who risk their lives for this country every day of the week, and Hill responds, "No, I'm asking you to obey the will of the American people, Captain." And then he says, "Don't play to politics with me, Hill. Superheroes need to stay above the stuff where Washington starts telling us." who the supervillains are, and then uh, then all of a sudden people pull guns on Cap, and it's like, 
yeah, that didn't <laughs> that didn't get very far. I also thought it was weird that she had all these guys in in some kind of crazy armor with guns like standing by. Yeah, ready to take this dude out, like as well, if. It kind of sounded if... like she expected it to happen. Like, she right? Was like, yeah. I'm right. gonna confront him and ask him to, you know, help us against these other guys, and then. But I, I'm assuming that he's just not gonna do it. Right, but like it. like. Having no conversation beforehand, a two-minute conversation, I would not walk in that quite that prepared, I don't feel. <laughs> no, certainly not. That was definitely a strange sequence. Um, yeah, um, she, she I, I guess, as the embodiment of S.H.I.E.L.D., was really aggressive in this, even far more. I mean, she, I feel as though at the beginning of the, or maybe the first three issues, or maybe even four issues, Iron Man and Tony Stark were kind of the driver of the registration movement, and then all of a sudden, it's very clear that S.H.I.E.L.D. is the fist in the glove. I mean, mm -hmm. pushing him way further than he was even comfortable with, which I think is why he starts to sort of equivocate towards the end, going, uh, well, maybe maybe this wasn't the right thing. Maybe I should be a little more gentle, whatever. I also thought it was odd that this, and I, I looked, I, I was very careful to go back and, and check how long it took between when they proposed the legislation and when you had to be registered, and it was one week. It was actually in one of the little paragraphs of, of information at the beginning of the book. One week? Mm -hmm. I mean, even even the ACA, I think you were given a whole year to register, or at least six months to register. Yeah, but I There's mean, no way the bureaucracy could handle everyone registering in a week. The, the Affordable Care Act. Yeah. I, I would like to point out, you know, Affordable Care Act, you're talking 40 million people. It's super, th this, this is probably ref this is probably referring to you know a couple thousand people maybe yeah and like a, a couple thousand we all know the names of right yeah. true I mean, but I also was gonna say when was the last time you went to the DMV and had to wait for less than an hour I I feel like depends on the state in Indiana it takes ten minutes and in California really? you're waiting outside yeah yeah well the outside, outside is what I'm used to but my point just being that. Even if they wanted to crack down and make sure people got registered pretty quickly, I don't think that bureaucracy would be able to handle that many applications. No, I mean, yeah, the, your point's you well know. taken, but it might be a bit nitpicky. I did find... It is very nitpicky. I, I did find what was interesting, at least to me, just to briefly compare it to the Civil War movie, how the movie felt way more sympathetic with, as a, or, or with Captain America on the anti-registration side, where the comic felt much more pro-registration. Even though it gave the anti-registration characters their due, I mean, in the end, it felt pretty clear that, you know, with the emotional backing of the parent and no counter-victim voice, there was never another character saying, yeah, my son died here too, but this is wrong. True. You had, you had the, a lot of uh, little hints dropped about, you know, crime is at an all-time low. And then, of course, I and mean, let's just get to the very end, at the climactic battle where it appears that Cap has got this one, you know, he's pulled off this coup where he's basically won it. Um, this extraordinary scene where the people rise up to stop him. And that's where it's just kind of like, you know, holy crap, you know, what at least in Millar's universe, he imagines a population that wants this level of control and almost police state and it was you again know, he's from the uk and he's very this is the type of legislation that he would be very happy with in his own home country and i think that the people that are writing the that are adapting it for the movies are people that don't necessarily believe that well hey i would also like to point out civil war is captain america civil war also mm -hmm. true good right. point. it's a captain america i mean i mean it's a captain america centric movie so i think i think they were going to take his point regardless mm -hmm. yeah that's yeah, and and you're talking about like the people attacking Cap. There is it's terrible dialogue. <laughs> yeah. um, God, yes. But, but those last three pages were really rough to read. Well, no, I was just thinking it was basically right before Cap gives up. You know, I think I think it's Spider-Man. The 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 word balloons a little questionable here. But this is we're beating the men. We're winning back. We're winning. We were winning back there. And then Cap says everything but except the argument. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so even you know, it's one of those suddenly Cap decides, oh no, I was wrong. He also right. says that they're arresting Steve Rogers, not Captain America. But I don't know that he can necessarily say that. Well, that's because he unmasks. The, the idea is he unmasks himself, and and is without the mask, without the suit, he's not Captain America. He's Steve Rogers. 
So a point, a point I did want to bring up just real quick going back to the movie Marvel and the Hall. reason why I brought it up was um, that in the movie they kind of showed you a little bit of how once the government has control over all these super people, how they almost immediately abuse it. And we don't quite see that here in Civil War, which is an interesting contrast. I think. Well, we don't see it in Civil War. So just from a comics perspective, Civil War sets up probably the next... Let me just... I've got Wikipedia open here. The next... Mm-hmm. Five to six years of Marvel comics and Marvel events. Basically, mm-hmm. it, it kind of gets wrapped up more or less with Avengers versus X-Men. That's really kind of the end of everything. Oh, okay. I didn't stick with it that long. I think I got through World War Hulk and I was like, all right, I'm Well, I mean, literally, World War Hulk is the... Was, is, is, not the immediate follow-up, but the follows f- behind. Yeah, the big, the um, big summer thing they did after that, which I did kind of think was cool. But but the, the next big event was two thousand and eight, which was Secret Invasion, and that was followed up by Dark, followed up by Dark Reign, mm-hmm. in which Norman Osborn is now in charge of Shield. Mm. And that that's really where you get the point of, okay, of the system abusing the power they have. Right. Right. Can we really quickly talk about Namor? Sure. I mean, he was he was kind of strange. Douche. I mean, he's always a douche. Yeah, he's, he's always strange in this one. I looked at him and I wrote, I saw Namor, and the first thing I thought was, that's the type of life Quagmire from Family Guy dreams of. <laughs> the second yeah. thing I wrote is, oh, Lord, Namor is completely ridiculous, even in Millar's capable hands. No, I mean, Namor's always ridiculous. Yeah. He, but the lounging on the oh my god no and and that's pretty typical that's that's very par for the course with him but as soon as I flip the page and I see that I was just like oh god yeah, let's not forget Millar has a habit of sometimes going way over the top yeah um, you know Kickass and Nemesis jumped to mind immediately and like that stuff went got crazy yeah it did so interesting note I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before where Civil War was late what from what I thought was Malar having health issues. Mm-hmm. So looking into that, I can't find anything that's a, that's that talks about him having any kind of health issues. He has health issues regularly, though. It wouldn't be surprising. See, but I yeah, can't I... find anything that talks about his health at all. Really? Yeah. That... Just in general. Have you ever or just for this particular? Ever. Well, he, he had a thing on his blog about two years ago talking about, or a year and a half ago, talking about how his one of his comics, MPH, was being delayed because of health issues. He did specifically say that, okay. unless he deleted the post afterward. I'm, I'm, I just may not have been able to find it. But it, it's interesting actually looking at some of the history for Civil War. That was actually mostly delayed due to McNiven's art. Yeah, that's what I was about to jump and not, in and say. And I don't not think Malar. it was Millar, it was the artwork. Cause yeah. I remember at a like, convention... Now, Kick-Ass, on the other hand, that was all Millar, but... Right. Yeah, I remember hearing that about, like, the art was getting delayed. And I it always reminds me of that panel I saw Todd McFarlane in back in Baltimore. It was probably 2010 or 2009, where he says, you know, you want to you wanna make it in this industry, here's the one thing you have to do is make your deadlines. You yeah. can be mediocre and make your deadlines, and, and you know, you'll be... Pick you over the guy yeah. that's... Well, no, no, yeah, I've heard him say that, too. There are three types of people. There's guys who are, are not particularly good artists, but they make their deadlines, and they'll work right. consistently. Right. There are guys who are fantastic who can't make their deadlines, and they'll never make a, make a living. And then there are guys like Jim Lee who are both, right. and they're sons exactly. of bitches. Yeah, the golden boy <laughs> Jim Lee is how he referred to him. Right. And again, yeah, no, McFarlane absolutely. having worked with, with Jim Lee founding Image, I can understand. Yeah. I wasn't so, enthusiastic about the art in this book, though. No, I wasn't either. Actually, you know what got me more? And I think just because my focus on on comic technique is, has changed a little bit is actually some of the lettering. The, the placement of word balloons bugged me in a lot of spots. Cause it was I was like, doing guided view on digital, and I didn't notice as much. I, I, I looked in there, and I was like, who the fuck is talking? Mm. <laughs> I can't tell who that balloon belongs to. Like, I mean, it just happened a minute ago. Where there's like two or three people who are kind of like near enough to the balloon, and the balloon's kind of hanging out in space all by itself for a little bit. It's like, oh yeah, that, that, that line. I found the line where you're like, oh, we were beating them, we were winning back there, and it's either Falcon or Spider-Man saying this. Right. I thought it was Falcon that was saying it. I, 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 right, right. That's, that's my point. I can't tell. Yeah. 
That that's that I should be able to that's tell who right. tell who's talking. Um, there there are a couple others like Tony Stark. That you know Tony's when he's in the Iron Man costume is in the different font, but you know because of that they'll throw the word balloon like in the middle of the panel, yes. way the fuck away from him. He's um, a ventriloquist. He's throwing his voice. Apparently, <laughs> the only time that I looked and I thought, oh wow, that's a really pretty page was the full page of Peter Parker with his mask off at the press conference. Yeah, there are and some really good pages McNiven really does. But but I, there I, are just I, some really I, questionable ones, too. Well, yeah, the I don't thing know. was, I mean, it's not consistent with characters. So I, I was like, oh, Peter Parker looks great. And I flipped to the next book, and I was like, no, Peter Parker looks like crap again. I don't know. I actually kind of, I don't know who did the inking to this or the colors, but as far as the artwork, I've, I've said this for a while, that even though I don't read Marvel with any level of consistency at all, their books look really good, and I'm just paging through this. I mean, it, it looks good to me. It looks there are sharp and There crisp. are five different inkers. That may have something to do with that, actually. Or five different yeah. inkers and one colorist. Yeah, I mean, like, it still looks pretty sharp and crisp, and, and it's framed well. So, I mean, I mean, I guess I'll, I'd give the artwork a passing grade. Oh, no, no, I mean, I it think... Could also, it could also be that I was doing the guided view, and again, that expands it to fill whatever screen you're looking at. So it could have been, you know, blurry or pixelated or whatever, something weird happened. Well, I don't know about that, but I mean, there are definitely some really good-looking panels in this book. There's just, mm -hmm. There are a couple times where I'm going, what the fuck was that? <laughs> um, so, so what I found the, really there was hang on, the, the real quick, there was there was one panel, I think it was. It's early on where it's like half of the panel is just someone's butt cheeks. <laughs> Wait, yes, I remember that. <laughs> I think it was Sue Storms. Of course you do. Oh no, I found it. It's um She Hulk. She Hulk. Yep. Yeah. It was awesome. This person really liked She Hulk. Yeah. She was, but she looked good. She looked good. I'm not saying no, that. Yeah, like, no, weird was Tigra. She looked bizarre. She that's, always that's, just a, that's just a weird character in general. Yeah, no, but I definitely remember that butt shot because I'm sitting there going, you know, that would make feminists mad. I mean, well, no, I mean, I mean, it's a well-drawn butt. It's just it doesn't oh, it just doesn't need half a panel. Yes, it, it, you're right. You're absolutely right. It does not need half a panel. You're going to tell it me it deserves a full, a full panel. panel. I knew you were going to say exactly that. what it needs. <laughs> Fucking weirdo. But I am because I'm just curious. Getting, I guess, sliding away from the the story itself, there is a really cool. Oh, where is it? I'm trying to find it. Where She-Hulk is on Larry King, and there's this yeah, interesting. Cool. Yeah, where she goes, um, ban superheroes. Well, in a world of thousands of supervillains, that's that's obviously impossible, Larry. But training, training them, and making them carry badges. Yes, I'd say that sounds like a reasonable response. So I, I'm curious. Let's play a thought experiment for a second. In in a if in a real world, in our world, if there were people born with all sorts of bizarre abilities, what would be the appropriate response from society and government to handle them? Because these are still autonomous people. So I I just that I want to hear what they what they should do, or do you want to hear what you think society will how society will actually respond? Well, kind of both, because I think that's that's a question. Well, Civil War broaches. I mean, I, I I would like to see someone dig really deep into that one. Whether or not it intends to broach that in that in that particular regard, I understand. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I thought that was a cool concept because I would really, really want to think like, okay, you know, we we've always talked about like you know what would if. if Batman were real, you know, him being a regular dude but a vigilante, it's pretty obvious, right? It's like it's vigilanteism. The society would not stand for it for very long. You know, eventually they'd arrest him. Um, but, like, with people who can defy authority, right, the central authority of the society, you know, do we just kind of, should we have, like, an awkward alliance with them? Should we just trust them to behave the way they should? I'm, I'm just curious how you guys think would that would play out. Um, go ahead, Andrew. You know, I was going to say, you know, unfortunately, I think, I think that we we would not we would not handle that very well. I think as a society, we would just we would not react very well to that. I think we would have very knee jerk reactions to it, and we would do things that we would later regret. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Yeah, and and and, and unfortunately, that's kind of a pessimistic view of society. But I mean, even even in what are otherwise f 
fairly innocuous situations. I mean, I, I, I kind of look at the some of the issues that we have with immigration, especially like um, the refugees from the Middle East. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are losing. There are people that are just losing their minds over this, and mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm I'm not trying to trying to argue one way or another for that particular thing. But I think if 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 we can't come to a civil and sensible conclusion about something that's you know just other regular people who are fleeing a war, mm-hmm. I think people who are you know of that caliber above standard human. I think we would just not be able to handle it, and we would do very, very regrettable, very poor things. Tracy, what do you think? I want to say, well, I, 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 in some ways I do agree with you, Andrew. But I see two policies, or two, that's not the right word, um, two possibilities for the way that social the society will take this. Either they will look on these people as weapons, in which case they should be registered. And again, I think that's where we would get into the regrettable things. Or, and it's entirely possible, that it would be seen more as we see people with um, chromosomal oddities or other differences that we actually support now. That we, we make it so that you can't discriminate against them, that kind of thing. In which case, I think it's going to go really hard the opposite way. Yeah, I think the problem with that, with 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 the currently like the chromosomal thing, though, how long does it does it take to get to that stage? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's two thousand it's two thousand and sixteen, and we are, as a society, barely tolerant of homosexuals. I mean, realistically speaking, I guess I was th- I was thinking of it as though we were in the world of Marvel and superheroes and and X Men and so forth had oh, been no, around no, I, as long as no, they he's had. No, he's talking he's talking about our specific yeah. our society. Oh, if they sh- if they just showed up like tomorrow. Well, no. See here, I'm, you're getting a little ahead of me because I was going to bring that up. If if this were if these oddities appeared throughout history, right, going all the way back to antiquity. Um it would not be surprising that these kinds of people would immediately become the power structure and themselves, like, they, they would be in charge, right? There would just be, no, they'd be so strong that they would be the ones in charge. And eventually... the next step of evolution, right? Yeah, it would, I mean, yeah, they would just, they would be in charge right away. If they were to start to show up, because in, in this universe, it appears that they, you know, they really kind of have their coming out in the 40s and 50s. Yeah. And so... You know, despite, you know, the, the misgivings of the 20th century, the 20th century was a far more tolerant and accepting period of time than the early Roman Republic, for instance. Certainly. Or, or you know, the Reconquista of Spain or the Ottoman Empire of the 12th century, right? Well, back so, then they used to leave, you know, misshapen children out on the dung heaps and the, the trash piles. And for Sparta! So, so there's, there's that. So... What's interesting is in a modern society, you'd have to kind of balance the individual rights versus the societal good. And what's would be and like one reason why I'm kind of interested in, in the new uh, uh, Suicide Squad movie is because in the trailer, one of the characters goes, "Okay, here's a scenario: Superman flies down to the White House, rips open the roof, picks up the president, and flies away and hucks him in the sun or something to that effect. Right? Who's who's gonna stop him? Right?" That's a really interesting question to me because suppose, you know, you could handle certain superheroes or certain advanced people. There are a couple of them you're not going to be able to deal with. That pushing them or trying to control them is just going to make them so mad that, you know, you're, I mean, I think She-Hulk mentions it somewhere in there. It's like you've got people with the powers of, like, a nuclear weapon. So, like, confronting them could cause more damage well, and that's what happened to kick this whole thing off, Nova. Right, right. So I, I don't know. I, I am inclined to agree with Andrew. On the one hand, society will... I'm actually inclined to agree with both of you, because on the one hand, we want to be tolerant and accepting of, you know, human beings and sentient conscience creatures. And on the other hand, when you have tragedies, it is a society's... You can almost bet on it as society 
reacting really badly really quickly yeah. and making really bad decisions, especially immediately after a tragedy, which so, probably would inevitably happen. So I, I actually I do want to point out there is kind of a comic that talks about you know that that Superman kind of issue. It's called Irredeemable by Mark Wade. Okay. Which is one of those I actually meant to, to read and just never had the chance. It's up by uh, Boom Studio. Mm-hmm. And I was actually, I just realized, this, I think there's actually a third option uh, in terms of you may end up with kind of the, the messianic cult, like mm-hmm. we saw uh, kind of the dream vision in Superman, uh, Sup- Batman versus Superman. Mm-hmm. But I think where instead of a society taking action, they would basically cede all responsibility to these individuals. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, if it were happening, yeah, I could see it happening in Marxa, I would say almost certainly if they started to appear in antiquity. Oh, no, no, yeah, absolutely, but I'm thinking, I mean, I'm just thinking now, you know, hey, man, there's there's this guy out here who is so much more powerful than any of us, and he's, you know, stopping crime in that, you know, yeah, you know, I, I don't really, I don't really need to care anymore. You know, I can just do whatever because he's going to take care of me. Yeah, or, or I mean, especially if one of them, one of these superhero type characters, comes down and says, "Oh yeah, I am actually God," or you know, a, a relative of God, or something like that. It wouldn't take much. Right. No, it, you know, it, it don't even have to be um, superpowered. You know, as, as Arthur C. Clarke says, you know, as technology sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable from magic. Someone starts performing what has appeared to be miracles yeah you're right they could create um cults because we we all know people with less impressive resumes have been have created some really bizarre cults yeah and 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 certainly cults but i I was even thinking not not just cults but i think society on 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 mass may cede their responsibility for themselves Mm -hmm. and for their basically day-to-day well-being Yeah, we see that. We kind of see that some in Watchmen, where Doctor Manhattan is just relied upon to take care of all this shit. Yeah, he's just like, we're at war. Uh, Doctor Manhattan needs to win this war for us. Well, and like you know, he makes he creates all this lithium to make all these lithium batteries for to replace fossil fuels, mm-hmm. and he's in charge of doing all this other stuff, basically for the betterment of society, so that other people don't end up having to deal with it. Yeah, there's a lot of really good stuff there. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. And then imagine, you know, you have a situation where these characters all of a sudden decide to not want to do it anymore. Wrong, so we've, yeah. Like, we've had a society so dependent on people with all these extraordinary abilities that, like you said, they, we've ceded our responsibility not just to, you know, hunt and cook and, you know, but basically to live in a modern society. You know, they basically would have it by its, by the guts you know, if they decide to go on strike, it's over for everyone. I mean, there, there have been several comics have done this before. Um, some of the original X-Men stuff with Genosha, but uh, there's also a couple, at least one Star Trek episode I can think of. And, and this has been done elsewhere in science fiction where you have, you know, the idealized society. And then turns out there, the reason it's an idealized society and it's working so well is they're basically living off of the the slave class. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, no, you're right. There's also um, early original Star Trek episodes where Kirk comes across uh, these, like, people in, like, these apparent utopias, and they turn out to be in, like, they, they turn out to be the slave class. Yeah. That they're, they're the ones that are controlled and by this kind of om- almost omnipotent power. And you know, it's up to the enterprise to kind of break them free. Right. Everybody yeah. has the right to be miserable and unhappy. <laughs> or, or obligation in some cases. Join the club, motherfuckers. Yeah. What is my purpose? You pass butter. Oh my god. <laughs> yep. Join the club, buddy. I think I think that about covers it. I think that no, said it, most. Of it. That's why I found this one. As someone who doesn't really read Marvel on a regular basis, I did find Civil War quite compelling because of the really interesting questions it brought up. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I, superhero. I don't know comics, how they resolved it. So. Certainly, c- certainly, superhero comics can be very episodic, and mm-hmm. you know, it took years to f- really fully resolve Civil War. However, 
there are times where superhero comics can really dig at an issue like this, get to its heart in ways I think that other, certainly comics as a, as a medium can get to it better than other mediums can. But I think superhero comics in general, because they can play with morality in a way that our society and other stories can't. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Right. Super villains can be, you know, can be super evil and superheroes can be super moral. Mm-hmm. And you can use them as stand-ins for other groups that you really can't discuss completely freely. Well, and not, not even just that, but like if we had a care an act like a, just a regular person who wasn't a super villain who, you know, has some of the is so morally detestable as some of these super villains are supposed to be. It, it's really difficult to take that character seriously in the, in the in the context of our normal society. The same thing with with you know someone like Superman. Nobody's that fucking good, mm-hmm. but we accept that Superman is that good as a matter of just inherent fact to, of his character. Yeah, Superman is by definition that. Yes, and because we accept those things, we can then play with them and and those those pieces of that morality in ways that we couldn't do it with other characters. Mm-hmm. And this is, Civil War is a very good example of, of our ability to do that. Yeah, I thought it was a good attempt. I don't know if it, it, it well, landed landed on Bedrock, <laughs> but it certainly was, you know, I mean, it, I think it was a good and valiant try. I'll give it that one. Well, you know, I mean, this this one also starts the, the Marvel tradition for several years of just not being able to stick the goddamn landing. Yeah. And and that's unfortunate. I think Marvel's gotten back on its. You know, it started. It was doing better before, before this because House of M came right before this, and House of M really nailed the ending. And some of the more recent events that they've had have have done much better. But there were a couple: Civil War, Dark Reign, Secret Invasion, World War Hulk, Siege, Fear itself. Eh, Fear itself was okay, actually. Yeah, of like a, bu- a bunch of them really just did not stick the fucking landing. Of that group, I did read World War Hulk, and I do remember not being overtly disappointed in that ending. It, it at least was rational. It was like, oh, okay, I, it, it could end like this. Oh, yeah, I mean, I think Civil War is probably the most... Civil War and maybe Secret Invasion were the most egregious of them. <laughs> right. You're reading going, huh? Th- it ends like this? What? Yeah. I, I kind of had, had a similar feeling for a Secret Invasion. Although I haven't read Secret Invasion, you know, in eight years, so maybe, maybe my memory's a little off on that. But uh, yeah, I remember Civil these to, those two in particular are really not sticking the landing, and going, "All right, guys, get your shit together." <laughs> All right, folks. So if you like what we do, make sure you head on over to thereforeigeek.com. Check out our blog posts on our podcasts. You can find us on Facebook, on st- uh, on Twitter, and on Instagram. And you can find this podcast and other podcasts like it on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and YouTube. YouTube. Right. And, you know, guys, join the conversation. You know, we're post, we post pretty regularly to Facebook. You know, co- jump in the comment section on Facebook. Jump in the comment section on, on SoundCloud, on YouTube. You know, tell us what you think. Do, we, do you agree with us? Do you disagree with us? Hashtag Tracy's wrong. Do you, tr- you want to challenge dude to Mortal Kombat? I'm going to lose. I mean, I'm just putting it out there. I mean, in the video game, I'll play that, but I don't want to do the real thing. That's That stings. <laughs> oh, good time. All right, guys. So once again, I'm Andrew. I'm Tracy. I'm Dude. And you've been listening to Therefore I Geek. Hashtag Tracy. Whoa. Although Tracy wasn't agreed, I don't think Tracy was really wrong today. <laughs>